We're in week three of our series, I Am. And this series, this series is about identifying who we actually mean when we say God. Like, who do we actually mean? Is God the man upstairs? And, and um, is God, does God, this person we, that, that we say God, does it mean the same to the person next door? You know, what do we actually mean? And this is what the series is all about. What do we actually mean when we say God? And what does the Bible actually reveal about who Jesus is? And this is where we've been journeying. But, you know, I, from time to time, I, I get people say to me, and I've heard when I, in the workplace and different places, and that the reason that the world is in such a mess is because it's God's fault. It's God's fault for why the world is in such a mess. And the reason that it, that, that it's God's fault is because God created human beings, right? The humans are, is the issue. It's because of human beings, the world is in such a chaos, there's such a mess that it is today. It's because of human beings. Maybe, maybe Thanos was right when he did the click and half the population was gone from the planet. Right, and that's a movie reference for those who watched Avengers movies. Thanos and the infamous click in game, the Infinity Wars, and maybe he was right when he clicked, and that was the whole idea of this movie that, that Thanos saw that the issue were with people. Let's get rid of half the people and then the world would be a better place. Maybe maybe Thanos had the right idea. maybe maybe uh, humanity is God's greatest mistake. I mean, why did God create human beings in the first first place? What, what's the point? What's the point of human beings? And, and maybe we're just a mistake. Maybe you're watching this and you think that the world will be a better place if you weren't born. Maybe you're watching this and, and, and you think nobody will notice if you weren't around. Maybe everything will be better. Maybe you, you believe that you are just a mistake. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we even think we, we're not even happy with our own image. Oh, well, I'm not smart enough. I, I don't look as pretty as them. I don't, I, I'm not as athletic as them. I'm too skinny. I'm too large. I'm too short. I'm too tall. We're never happy with our image. But what you need to understand is that you are not a mistake. Because God does not make mistakes. That you have purpose. God has created you with purpose. You are not a mistake because God, the great I am, does not make mistakes. If you're looking for a, a, a subtitle to this message, message today is, I am who you say I am. And Portal's been doing this amazing, singing the song, it's been kind of being the song of our series, I am who you say I am. And so this is the message that I, uh, this is the title of today's message, I am who you say I am. Genesis chapter 1 opens um, at verse 26, opens like this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the, the ground. Sometimes I wish some of those scurrying little animals weren't there like mice and things like that. So God created human beings in his own image, right? And so I used to think, when I used to read that, that, that well, does God have an image like, I mean, is, does God have a, like two legs and two arms? And is this what it means? And, but actually God is spirit and, and, and he's, he's, uh, he's disembodied. So he doesn't have a body. And so 
It's, it's not a physical appearance. This, this word image is not a physical, uh, physical appearance. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. What's really interesting is that this, this opening passage in the book of Genesis, it shook the ancient world. And the reason why these words shook the ancient world is because it says that every single human being is made in the image of God, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're made in the image of God because you are made in the image of God, every single human being. And that is such a bold claim. And that claim alone shook the ancient world. And what's really interesting is, that, is this, the word for image here in Genesis is the Hebrew word selim. Selim. And selim is also translated as idol. It's the same word for idol. Like the idols of Baal. It's the same word. And it's this, this, this word, it can mean image and it can mean, mean idol. And so what do we know about idols? And so in the ancient world, when they used to build the temples, they would place the idol at the centerpiece of the temple would be the idol. Now, now the people of the ancient world, they, they, they knew that these idols weren't the actual deity that they were worshipping. They knew that this wasn't the actual deity, but it represented the, uh, it represented the deity, its power and its presence. It was a mediating, it mediated its it's, and represented the, the power of this deity. It wasn't the actual deity, but it represented the deity, which is why idolatry is such an insane concept in the Bible. Because we do not need to make idols, because we are God's representatives. Right? Because these idols represented the, these deities, but we are God's representatives. We don't need to make idols. We are God's image. He creates the world. And, and the world, and the, and the Bible describes God's world as God's temple. The world is God's temple. And the centerpiece of God's temple, he places right there. Who? who? Humanity. The image of God. He places them at the center of, of his creation. His image, his image bearers. For we are God's idols. We are God's image. We are God's, uh, his God. His God's, God's uh, representatives here on earth. That's who we are. We're here to represent God. This is who we are. And this idea of God's image was revolutionary. It, it shook that every single human beings are made in God's image. The reason why it shook the ancient world is because this, this word, the image of God, was a title. And it was a title only reserved for kings. Right? Kings were the only ones who represented the gods and they ruled and reigned on their behalf. That these kings were the divine ruling class and everybody else were, were subjugated beneath them, right? So you had these, the ruling class and the ruling class was seen as, as divine and everybody else was beneath them. And then we had these, the class system begin to seep within humanity. This, the, the, of different classes, the, those who were the elite class and those who weren't. Those that had, had all the power and those who served them began to seep within humanity. And so the opening lines of Genesis was revolutionary. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created the male and female. This 
shook the ancient world because being made in the image of God is not just for the elite, but for all of humanity. There is no class system in God. There is no class system. Oh, the pastor's on a different level. No, there is no levels that we are all one. Equality is not a Western idea. Equality is not an Eastern idea. Equality is not even a Greek idea. Equality came right out of Genesis. This is where it first appeared, right out of Scripture. Equality is a biblical idea that God created all of humanity in His image. There is no class system in the kingdom of God. I love this. So you and I are image bearers of the great I am. So what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? For, for many of us, we think what makes us human is the fact that, that we, you know, what separates us from the animals? What makes us different to all the animals? And for some of us, we think, oh, well, I've got a soul and, and we'll, I've got the divine breath in me. And that's what, separates, that's what separates us from the animals. Well, you know, you'll probably be surprised to know that according to the Old Testament, every single living creature has a soul and has a divine breath that animates them according to the Old Testament. This is what it describes. So therefore, okay, so that's not what separates us from the animals. Okay, it's our mind, it's our intellect, it's our, our creative ability, it's our brain function. This is what separates us from the animals. And yes, it's true, these are unique to us as human beings. But according to the Bible, this is not what separates us to all the other created beings on earth. That's not what separates us. According to the Bible, what makes us human, let's read on in verse 28. Of Genesis, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea. And this is the, this is this term, this this royal term. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the, the ground. So Genesis tells us that humans were created with a purpose. Not just to be unique amongst creation, but vocationally set apart. When God says he will make human in his own image, he has purpose in mind. So what separates us from all the other created beings on earth? According to the Bible, is that we are the only ones that are made in the image of God. That is what separates us, is that you are made in the image of God. And this is mind-blowing concept, that you are made in the image of God. Because according to the Bible, you are royalty. You are a king. You are a queen. That is who you are. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a king. I'm a queen. That's who you are royalty. You are made in the image of God. Right? That's what separates you from everything else, according to the Bible. So to be human, to be human is to be an image of God. That's what it means. This is what separates us. To be human is to be an image of God. To be an image of God means you have purpose. You have purpose. You are born with purpose. You are created with purpose. Do you know why this is an important distinction? The reason that this is important is that we don't slowly progress into the image of God, right? We weren't like born and then we slowly became an image of God. We, like if we go through all the different steps, 
if I, if I keep getting closer to God, the closer I get to God, then I become an image of God. No, you are the image of God. We don't, prog- it's not, there's no, there's no, um, there's no prog- progression system. You are the image of God, which means, which means every unborn child is an image of God. Every unborn child is an image of God from the moment of conception. It has nothing to do with self-awareness. It has nothing to do with brain function. It has nothing to do with, with, with air in their lungs. It has everything to do with purpose. With purpose. If you're, if you're pregnant, no matter how many weeks or how many days you've been carrying this, this child, you are carrying purpose. If you're watching this and you're pregnant right now, put a hand on your belly and say, and say this, I am carrying purpose. That's what you're carrying. You are carrying purpose. To be human is to be the image of God. To be the image of God means you have purpose. You have purpose. Psalms 8 verse 4 says this, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. God is king. God is king. But what's amazing is that the Bible starts with God sharing his rule with his image bearers. With his image bearers. Right? But what happened, right? You'll be thinking, so what, what happened? How come it doesn't feel like we're ruling and reigning now? It just doesn't feel like I'm ruling and reigning now. What happened? But when we read Genesis chapter 3 onwards, there's this perpetual cycle of failure after failure after failure. You might be listening to this and you think, yeah, I know exactly what that means. I feel like I fail every time. Do we ever feel like failures from time to time? Like every step we take, we take two steps back. We seem to be doing a moonwalk, then we are moving forward. Mistake after mistake. It seems to be in this perpetual cycle, cycle of just going backwards. It all started in the garden, right? We hear here the, the first Adam and Eve, and God gives them a royal task. But instead of trusting the Creator, humanity rejects God's provision for what is good and not good. And they seize the opportunity to redefine for themselves. What is good and evil in our own eyes? Isn't that true of us? We don't like people telling us what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I want to decide for myself. I want to seize from, the, from that tree of good and evil. I want to seize for myself what is good and evil in my own eyes. Because think about it. What's polarizing public opinion today? When we turn on the news, what's polarizing our opinion? The vaccine. Anti-vaccine. To vaccine or not to vaccine? That is the question, right? Why is it polarizing? Because you can't tell me what to do. I want to choose for myself what is good and evil in my own eyes. And it goes all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the garden. So instead of extending God's kingdom here on earth, we, be- we begin to extend our own kingdom, the kingdom of man, a rival kingdom to the kingdom of God, where the survival of the fittest becomes the rule. See, we may have given up on God. You may have given up on God. But God has never given up on you. And He never will. 
that the creator God is so passionate and committed to you. Even though humanity walked away from God, God never walks away from you. That he sets in motion a plan to rescue and save humanity and all of creation. And I love a 1 John verse 4, chapter 4 verse 8 says, it says this, Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Does it say because God is, is loving? God is a loving God? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says God is love. God is love. The phrase God is love refers to something so much more than God's character. God is a triune being. That is the core of who he is. He's a triune being. It's the core of who he is. At the essence of his being, God is an others-orientated, self-giving being. Come on. For all eternity, he existed in a community of perfect love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not just loving. He is love. He's a community of love for all eternity. He existed of the, of the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. This community of love. Before creation, there existed this community of love. God, that's why the Bible says God does, isn't just loving. He is love. He's the definition of love. God is the essence of love. And the reason why this is important, because if God was a solitary being, right? There was no Father, there's no, there's no Son, there's no, there's no Spirit. If he was a solitary being, there, there is no community of love. So what does, a solitary, what does it look like when this solitary being begins to create? Why should this solitary being create? There's a couple of possible, possible reasons. One, a need for another or for another to serve him, whatever the reason. So if this solitary being begins to create, what does it look like when humanity begins to mess up? This, this solitary being will have no problem wiping the human race from the face of the earth and starting again. No problem at all. But because God is a community of love, because of God is, in essence is love, he sees the potential and all that you can be in him. He created you with purpose. And God wants to share his love with you because he loves you. And he will never give up on you. And he never, ever will. God loved you so much that he steps into his own creation and he binds himself in humanity and the fullness of Jesus so that he can become the human that we were meant to be. And that's mind-blowing. He, he sees us in our struggle. He sees you in your struggle as an image-bearer. And he steps in and he binds himself in humanity and the fullness of Jesus to become the human that you and I were meant to be. In John chapter 14, verse 8 to 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Philip says to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. He says this question, right? And, and what's really interesting, isn't this a question we all ask from time to time? God, sh if you show me, show yourself to me, then I will follow you. I want to see you. If I see you, if I see you, God, then I will be satisfied in worshiping you. Don't, don't we ask this question, we want to see God? God, show yourself. If you show yourself to the world, if you prove, God, prove yourself, then I will follow you. We ask this question. Then we will be satisfied. 
right? What's Jesus' reply? He said, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still do not know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you want to see Yahweh? You want to see what Yahweh looks like? You, you, want, you want to see Yahweh and then you will be satisfied? Because I am Yahweh in physical form. When you, if you want to see Yahweh, look at me. When you see me, you see Yahweh. I am the image of Yahweh. That is who I am. I am the true representation of who Yahweh is. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He is the exact image of God. And through him, we become the humans we are meant to be. Through Jesus, we become Christ-like. In fact, this is what this word Christian means. To be Christian is to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, the true representation of who this image bearer is. The true image of God is Jesus, and we want to be just like him. We are made in his image. It's the, it's the now and the not yet. That now I'm the image of God and I am being transformed into the image of God from glory to glory to glory. The now and the not yet. I am the image of God and I'm being transformed into the image of God. And God invites us to rule and reign with him. He said, come, rule and reign with me. But it looks very different to the kingdom of man, doesn't it? Because when we think of ruling and reigning, we think of status, right? We think of status that, that, that I'm, I'm up here and I'm ruling over people. This is what we think of ruling and reigning, that we rule over people. When God didn't say that he, he didn't create us to, created us to rule over each other, bring people under slavery. He didn't create us to rule over our wives, right? He doesn't say that at all, Right? He doesn't say there is no status, there's no, there's no classes in the kingdom of God. And for humanity, this is what it looks like for us, is, is that we rule over each other, me first, me first. But what does it look like when God invites humanity to rule and reign with him? What does it look like? Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. In Genesis chapter 2, is the, is another creation story. It's Genesis chapter 1, then Genesis chapter 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. There was no one to work the ground, which is interesting. This is, this is a point that you hold that to your thought. In verse 8, let's go down to verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God plants a garden. So so, the, so God creates the world, and it's a, it's a desolate place. There's no shrubs, there's, no, there's nothing. But then God plants a garden. He plants a garden, he's got trees, there's fruit trees, it's amazing. It's the garden in Eden, it's paradise. He plants a garden in the east. And there he places man, and go to, down to verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. Why were you created? You were created 
for purpose. What does it mean to be an image of God? It means uh, an image that has purpose. You have purpose. The world was dry and desolate. God plants a garden. He places his representatives in the garden for purpose. Why? To take care of the garden, but also to work it, to extend it, to extend this garden, to go to those dry places and to till the ground and to work the dry places, to sow seeds in these dry places, to bring life, to create. To, to, this is what it means to rule and reign in God's kingdom. It means to create, to sow, to build, to strengthen. You have purpose. You have purpose to go to the dry places on your work sites, to go to those dry places in your places of education, to go to the dry places in your community and begin to bring life, to extend God's kingdom right in those places. This is what your purpose is. Your purpose is is to extend God's kingdom right where you are. Wherever God has planted you, God has called you to extend His kingdom, to go to the dry places. To sow seeds of life. To extend his kingdom right where you are. You have purpose. So what does it look like when God invites us to rule and reign with him? It looks like purpose. It looks like others first. We've been called to cultivate, create, and to extend God's kingdom right here on earth. Jesus invites humans into a new way. Actually, it's the original way. It's the original way. God invites humans into the original way of being human. Jesus demonstrated what true ruling and reigning looks like in the kingdom of God. How did he demonstrate it? How did he demonstrate it? By confronting evil. What does it look like when you confront evil in your workplace? What does it look like when you confront evil in your community? You know what it looks like? It looks like being aware of the need that's around you. It looks like reaching out to the most hurting, to those who are being isolated. It looks like reaching out to broken people and extending a hand of love, those who are being rejected by society. This is how Jesus begins to confront evil all around him. So what is, when we think about powerful, successful kingdoms, they need to be strong so they can exert their might and impose their presence so they can overcome their enemies, right? This is what it looks like. These the kingdoms of man, you know, we, it's all about strength. We look at all those movies we have out there. It's about strength and size. Look how big my, my sword is compared to your sword. and Look how big my gun is to your... It's all about size and might. But I love this. But when Jesus was, was bringing God's kingdom here on earth, what did he say? Who's the greatest person in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus? The greatest person is the weakest. The greatest person is the least. So what does it look like when we confront evil? What does it look like when we respond to evil? It looks like loving our enemies. It looks like forgiving those who have offended us and setting them free. It looks like making peace at all costs. It looks like extending God's kingdom right where you are. So when we follow the ways of Jesus' kingdom, we follow the path to true humanity. So what does it mean for us? It means you have been called to rule and to reign. Your royalty, your king and your queen. Come on. 
So what does it look like? It means being aware. It means paying attention to the real need around you. It means lifting our eyes up from our smartphones, right? Lifting our eyes off the smartphone and being aware of what's going on around you. Wherever you are, paying attention. That's how we begin to cultivate and to tend and take care of what God has given you. It's an other's first kingdom. Jesus is inviting you in a new way of living, right? To image God is to live with purpose. And purpose always involves people. Come on. To image God is to live with purpose. And purpose always involves people. So amidst our flaws and our sinful actions, there is an invitation from Jesus to join God's kingdom. You were made for purpose. You were made to reflect someone who was creative, infinite, and limitless. You were made to take what God has given you and do amazing things. I love that. You were made to be amazing, to do amazing things. This is why you were created. You have purpose. You are not a mistake. You might be thinking, well, you know, I keep making mistakes time and time again. That's part of our journey, isn't it? But you you need to tell yourself the truth. You are not a mistake. You are not a waste of space. The enemy of God has been lying to you for far too long. We may have given up on God. You may have given up on God. But God never gives up on you. God doesn't make mistakes. He never gives up on you and He never will. Come on, we need to declare some truths over our lives. Number one, and there's some people out here who are watching this wherever you are. This is something you need to declare. I am loved. Yeshua, you are loved. I even get a sense in my spirit there's people watching this right now and and for a long time you feel that you're not loved. You, You don't see love around you. People don't treat you that way. You need to understand something. When God looks at you, He's filled with love. He is love. You are loved. I am loved. I am a child of God. You know what that means? You're an image bearer. Means you have purpose. Means you are royalty. I am chosen. He chose you. He chose you. That's why He made you. That's why He created you. I am chosen. I am not forsaken. You are for me and not against me. I am who you say. I am. That is who you are. You need to declare it. Declare it over your life. Declare it over your family. Declare it over your workplace, your place of education. Declare it over your community. Come on. Let's declare it over Aotearoa. Let love reign. Let us extend God's kingdom right here. And He's called you to do amazing things. To image God is to live with purpose. And purpose always involves people.